Wait, where did you order from? Some website called like safetygear.com or something. Oh. They, they like a, some like company in Texas. I don't know. Oh, it wasn't Chinese. Yeah, I ordered them from AliExpress, you know, just waiting for those to get here through DHL or whatever. Fucking six and a half months later, covered in like grease and powder of some kind. Tiny fingerprints. not a big gamer. Patrick State Podcast, the first time in three weeks, right? Who's counting anyway? I don't know. We we were like, we're going to do it every week and and we we're going to make it happen. And then we didn't because life happened. Life happened. Things have been crazy at work, you know, and then, and then I brought my mic home because I was back for the like Wednesday through Sunday and I'm like, boom, let's record. And then I brought it home, and then you're like, actually, I'm at the beach. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then I left my mic home in Portland while I drove back to home in Eugene, and we couldn't record. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking record on my headset, because that's stupid. We could have done a phone podcast, man. I don't know. And then last week, it was just like fucking getting late, and I'm like, I just, yeah, just, you know, things happen. And then I had a family member die, and I had to go home and deal with all the family who flew in for, you know, just a real couple of weeks. You know, real cascading series of events. Yeah. But here we are. I've got a Mongo LaCroix. You've got a new set of glasses. I do. I'm feeling fresh. I said earlier that they suit your face very well. And I stand by it even five minutes later. The highest of praise. I thought they looked a little bit like yours. Mine don't have the metal around the bottom. They're open bottom. Oh, yeah. Interesting. It's a little bit different for me. They feel a lot more comfortable than my last pair of glasses. And they fit my face a little bit better and uh, pretty stoked in general. So, yeah, dude, a lot I feel like has happened since the last time we chatted. But as I was saying earlier, we're like, I'm going through here looking for headlines. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't seem like as much as I thought. Maybe we didn't miss that much. There was a direct, there was leaks and more leaks. There was another shitstorm surrounding Epic Game Store. Surprise. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I say that about half the game news we talk about. Oh, Diablo fans are giant man babies. Who gives a shit? We all knew that. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah, it's just less relevant to us because we're people. Oh, oh, <laughs> like I've never played Diablo. Really? I think I might have played uh, Diablo 2 on like or Diablo 1 even on like a neighbor's laptop 100 years ago. But I don't, I'm not into that. I don't care. So games we've been playing. I've been playing Diablo. Have you now? Like your brother finally roped you into it. So when I say have been playing, I mean I played for like three hours on like a Sunday evening with our friend Barry, uh, and haven't really played since. But it's now like in my Switch, which is by my bedside, and it's like you know, hey, I'm gonna do it now. I'm just waiting for someone to hop on with me, like like my brother or Cody or whatever. I am intrigued by it. It's definitely a game you have to play with people. Like you play it by yourself, it sucks. It just sucks. It's less about the game and the gameplay itself and more about just the principles. It's a loot grinder. You're sp- yeah. spamming two buttons and getting better loot. It's totally pointless, but if you're doing it with friends and suddenly it's fun, really reminded me, you know, not not reminded me, but really made me nostalgic for like Destiny, which was the exact same game principles but wrapped up in a game with good mechanics. And graphics, right? And the gameplay it, loop was different, but the rewards were the same. Like it's you hanging out with with three other friends and and 
hitting things until stuff flies out of them. The numbers are popping out and you're just like, Ooh, I got a cool thing. Exactly. So, you know, it's on my list of like, you know, things that are on my radar when I have time to pick up my switch. Uh, the other thing is, and I really do want to get into this. Maybe it's not time for the podcast, but I somehow found the time to binge game of Thrones over the course of like two Fridays, uh, a couple of days at work. I had it going on my phone while I was doing more of the menial sort of mindless editing stuff I had, which is probably not the ideal way to watch that show. Uh, but then, I, and then I had a vacation. I was uh, gone Thursday to Sunday. I had a music video shoot that weekend, canceled that shit. So I actually had some days off and I just watched the fuck out of Game of Thrones, <laughs> finished the whole season. I mean, the whole series. All of it. What do you think? What are your what are your top level sort of feelings about it? Listen, I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things that we should wax on together. Overall, it is a great show with great characters, mostly. But I am very worried about the eighth season after watching the last season, which I thought was very enjoyable, but had a lot of issues. Maybe not, you know, the 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 as far as the structure of the show itself, but like seeing what the writers are doing now that George Martin is pretty much not involved in the crafting of the story. Right. Not even that he's not involved in the crafting of the TV show, which he was involved here and there in the first like three or four seasons, I believe. Yeah. But that they're now off the books. They're past what he's written. Right. Which, I mean, the last book came out like five years ago, so they <laughs> had a lot of time to catch up. Right. But. It was just, it was, I only saw, like, as far as, I've read all the books, but from the TV show, I've watched the first two seasons retroactively, but I watched season six and seven as they're airing. And for me personally, I felt like season seven was pretty solid. They kind of cut a lot of the chaff, like they just got rid of a lot of the the storylines that didn't matter that much anymore. So they could focus on, you know, the end game. And season six, supposedly, it was just completely a mess. There was so much crap. It was like, what are they doing in Bravos? What's going on in this place? What are they do? What are they doing? What's the end goal here? And then they ended up just being like, you know what? We had something going, but it wasn't going anywhere. So fuck the sand snakes. You know, fuck all this weird nonsense. We're just gonna like just cut everything down into something that people actually care about. And I felt like season seven was a lot better than season six in that regard. I'm trying to think of what happened in, in season six because uh, you know, like I guess I just binged it. So season six was Battle of Bastards. Or was that season five? I was seen six. Bastards was six, I think. That was a sick episode. That was my favorite episode of the series. That episode justified, and I guess you didn't really, you didn't watch, you know, three, four, five, but that episode justified all of the fucking awful battle sequences that we got. Like that was finally the one that they did so right, following John Snow's perspective, and it, it was so just visceral and intense. And it was like, whoa, this is what it would feel like to be in that battle. Because a lot of the battles were just not interesting to me throughout most of the show. But um, season six, that's all the Bravo stuff with Arya, right? And she's... Oh, spoiler alert. Yes. I was doing very broad. Yeah, Yeah, we're talking Game of Thrones here, guys. Sansa's with the Boltons. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't think it was... I think it was better in season five. Season five was definitely the outlier in that it was like really slow and meandering until... Uh, I'm sure you know about a hard home when they go and they run into the Night King and everybody dies, but he brings them all back and it's like, holy fuck. You finally see what they're dealing with for once. And like, I've heard of that episode, but 
that's where it kind of deviates a little bit from the books because obviously the books are written and you can do a lot of different things. Like I always thought it would be really hard for the show to capture um, a lot of the in like story lore, like the things that uh, characters tell each other. Like you don't ever really go back and see uh, like Ned and Robert, like hanging out being young. You just hear them talking to each other in the, in the, in the books Yeah, or people regaling stories of, Robert with his mighty Warhammer, like striking down, uh, like the mad or like you know fighting Rhaegar and the right. the Trident and stuff like that, and like that's all like mythological in the story itself. Like it's people telling these these stories. So it's been interesting to see how they kind of tried to do that in the series. And like, uh, was it season seven that they finally reveal John's parentage, which they haven't really. Yes. Actually confirmed in the books, but it was always heavily implied like he's got it's like Ned wasn't telling the whole truth there. So it's been interesting to see like so it's really fascinating to hear your perspective from it as someone who's only watched the the show. And I as I can't help but compare it to the books. It's like watching the Harry Potter movies like you're constantly seeing the things that stick out in your mind. You're like, oh, that's not just that's just not right. Or why aren't they talking about this? So here and here's what. Because I usually do the same thing, even when I haven't read the source material, I still I hold it to a higher standard because the source material was obviously great for it to have been adapted. But I I was keeping up. I kind of robbed myself of a lot of really great moments because I was reading the wiki because I wanted a lot of that lore because they would mention little things, you know, Thoros of Mir and the history between the Clegane brothers and like just all these things that they they touch on. And you know, there's a history there. And I know there's more. So I spent a lot of time on the on the book wiki. Spoiled a lot of things for me. But I found out along the way that and I'm and this I'm really bummed you haven't watched the whole series. The books and the shows, even when they were sticking to the books earlier in the uh, uh, in the show, they are so different. And so many of the characterizations are different. Or like things like the like Loris Terrell is not really Loris Terrell in the show. He's more of the older brother in the book. Yeah, they combine they combine a lot of characters, which you kind of have to because there's yeah. 100 goddamn characters. They all have brothers and sisters, and they all have like the same name. Yeah. So it's hard enough. Like That's why they have so many titles. Like You don't know that Gregor Clegane's name. You know the, the Hound. Right. Right? You know the Mountain. You know the, the Viper. You know like you know all these different characters by their titles, not by who they ah, actually the are. The Red Viper of Dorne. Dude, he was one of my favorite characters. He was pretty awesome. He, he was, was cool. cool. I remember I, that was one of the episodes I watched. What was that season uh, four or five? Four. I want four. It was after the Purple Wedding because that was what Tyrion was accused of. It was after he killed his dad. So it was season four before he killed his dad. Fuck, you're right. So that was season four because yeah. Oh gosh, it, it's all it's all such a blur. But well, yeah, you watched it all in like two weeks' time. So. Yeah, and that that I also suffered for that because th- I'm like that didn't feel developed at all. It just happened. I'm like, oh well, I guess I just blew through. 60 hours of television and however long, but um, overall I think it's really good. And, and I, like I said, I am bummed that you haven't watched it because there are a lot of things I want to get into about like, like Daenerys is an awful character. She's, she's bad. And I'm really worried about season eight. You know, Daenerys has been sort of the, she's a caricature of what the writers, the very liberal writers think a strong female character should be. And, and, and that's frustrating for me because I think Daenerys, as far as main character goes, is the most, uh, or she has deviated the most from George Martin's source material, and mm-hmm. that's because the writers are trying to sort of cater to this to this modern sensibility of what a strong female character is. And like I said, she's a caricature. She's obnoxious. She's she's nothing. What she says and everything she says, she's not. And 
and and and I'm afraid that they're gonna do something super SJW in eight in season eight and and really stray even further from like what this character should be based on her actions and uh, and that kind of worries me. Um, I you know I, I look at strong female characters. I think of Elena Terrell and I think of Cersei. Even though you're supposed to hate her, she's a great character. Arya or Arya Arya versus the other characters who like people are rooting for like. Daenerys and Sansa who's fucking terrible well you're not supposed to like Sansa she's supposed to represent like her brain was filled with lofty ideas and it's like the harsh realities coming back to fight her and they don't really do that well in the show at all she's just a victim they do a little bit I mean just the, her whole storyline with Littlefinger and her being used to to poison Joffrey like she was the the person that brought the poison into the wedding right but she didn't know her, about her, her it. piece I know she was she that's like her point in the plot is to be used by other characters. Like she starts as a pawn and then she thinks she's growing, but she's still a pawn. And that's like her role. Just like, you're not really supposed to like, um, cat her parents or her mom. Like, cause she was supposed to be like the overprotective mom and you're supposed to be like, Oh, she's like trying to ruin everyone's day, but she's like totally right the entire time. Like right. you're supposed to look back on her character and be like, man, if only they had listened to Catelyn, like they would have done a lot better, but they just, right. You just disregarded her because you were put in that headspace. So, and I agree, like Daenerys, her character in the books is like, you get a lot of her internal monologue. So that's hard to kind of convey in the, in the TV show. Like she has to literally tell people her thoughts that she's keeping to herself. Like, and that kind of betrays the character of her, like being really reserved and being like, I wish I could just go back to the house with the lemon tree. Like she just wants to be a kid. Yeah. But she's, she has all this like lofty ideas that her, her brother was telling her like you are owed you are like royalty you have to be treated like royalty and then she's being used as a pawn too like she's given the dra- dragon eggs by that one weird guy <laughs> at the very beginning of the of the books like, right as like a wet she's traded as a wedding present like to get this dothraki army and then she turns into this savior figure trying to like free all these slaves because she knows what it's like to be a slave like she was a slave all of her life basically so it's really complicated to try and like get that and i i feel like they've they cut off all the good stuff to like you said to make a strong female character and yeah it's, it's a it's a shame because given a better budget and a better vision i think they're making this show a lot of the time like just sort of like making it up as they go and i feel like it, it shows what frustrates me about it is not that you know it, it, i look at it and it's it's not a restriction it's not a budget thing it's not a time thing it's it's strictly a here's what we want to do with the character thing and that's what's frustrating because from what i gather about everything i've read about who daenerys is in the books they've really taken that those aspects of like this reluctant hero who is trying to just do right by her name and you know like like she's the freer of the slaves and she's and she's trying to you know she from what i understand she's not even looking at westeros for most of her time she's not trying to conquer King's Landing. She's being distracted. She's trying to like prove herself capable before she even goes back west. Right. Like she, she's like, I can't be a, a a good queen if I leave these people to suffer. And it's sort of that moral quandary of like, am I a good person if I, I don't meddle in these foreign affairs? Like, to, I'm a foreigner here. I'm just, I'm here, and I'm helping these people. But do they want my help? Am I, I should I even be here? Right. And that's what like the last season was. Was like. Her being like, okay, I need to stop this. I need to just follow my instincts. I need to be like, I just need to do what I feel. 
instead of being lost in all these questions that people are asking me. I, I feel my frustration is that they really did what they should have done with Daenerys. They did to Jon Snow. And I know that those characters are supposed to kind of parallel each other and mirror each other's journeys in a lot of ways, but they didn't reflect that in the show as well. And I feel like, you know, Jon Snow was a milquetoast little, I mean, he was a whiny little baby. He was just obnoxious. He was, he was so dull for the first couple of seasons and they really nailed his growth. And he's finally a character that you, you can empathize with and you're, you're rooting for, but you still are like, God damn it. You have too much net in you and it's going to bite you in the ass and get you killed again. Kind of thing. Well, they've also had opposite trajectories where, uh, Jon Snow is raised as a bastard being told like every day of his life, you don't deserve anything. You are not beholden to anything. Like you have to go to the wall because you're just going to ruin everybody else's time down here. So, Whereas Daenerys is being told you, you deserve everything. Yeah. So they have these opposite trajectory where Daenerys starts high, goes down low and is coming back up again where John started low, rose up to like commander of the, the, uh, night watch, the Lord commander, Lord commander, you know, the King of the North, you know, just <laughs> he's had this like sort of up and down trajectory that sort of inter intertwines like high points and low points with Daenerys. And I think that's what makes that interesting. But yeah, the show can only convey so much and it just makes me want to read how it actually goes out. Yeah. And I really do want to dive into the books. You know, I've been watching a lot of videos about like the history. Like last night I watched this huge breakdown of, of Robert and, and Ned's whole rebellion. And it was like so interesting to me. And I really want to experience some of that with the books, but a few things stopped me from it. a, I realized how different the books are from the show. Like, like the core of the show and what they have been building to is so drastically different in the book, the whole the Nightwalkers thing and and what Bran's doing and how that's gonna tie in. It's like it's so different. That's not even it's not even in the same realm as the book. Like the whole Nightwalker thing is based on like a couple of a couple of references. Like it's totally different that it's like I don't want to be disappointed on one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, okay, I can divorce myself from the show to a point. And use the show to enrich what I'm experiencing in the books, but the books aren't finished yet, and I do not want to start something that's incomplete. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, that's totally fair. And like like you're saying with like the White Walkers, just because they get to one endpoint and they get there in a different way, it's kind of interesting to see how they do it as opposed to what they would do in a book, because they're vastly different mediums, and it's yeah. really hard to do things in a show that you would do in a book, and vice versa. Like, have you ever read a a book adaptation of a movie? It sucks. It's just like reading a bad screenplay. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it depends, but I think shows are especially, you know, it's the closest medium to a book where you have the time to, to delve in and there's stuff you lose, but it's, it's close enough that it's like, it's not like adapting Game of Thrones to a movie. We have two hours, you know, we had 62 hours, you know what I mean? And, and so it's like, you really can get into a lot of stuff. And so I hesitate to use the, oh, the it doesn't translate well or we didn't have enough time to do something justice. Where they failed, they failed because they failed, not because they were limited by anything other than maybe budget early on. One of my biggest issues, you know, I've watched this show. I watched the first season last year. And when they killed off, you know, uh, freaking Mark Addy and Sean Bean, I said, fuck this show. They, they killed off the main character and the only good supporting character. Why do I want to watch this show? And hearing sort of behind the scenes with with the showrunners and and the actually the director who did um, the penultimate episode, they're like all excited about like, hey, we're doing something we've never done before. We're gonna kill our main character. 
And that's the moment I realized, like, okay, the things that are bad about this show, I can't fault where they follow the books, right? They're following the books. They're trying to be faithful to a point. Then they're kind of beholden to that. But it is the showrunner's fault for not making the other characters compelling enough, quick enough. And I guess, again, you, you didn't watch, like, season three and four, but they really leaned into, oh, shit, who's our main character? So now we're following a lot of the kids and their journeys, and we, we didn't really care about them yet. They did really well in making Catelyn and Rob like those were the main characters. Now we're really following them while we see the opposite with Jamie and Cersei and that whole subplot that, you know, they made Tywin really fucking cool all the way until he dies. He's fucking awesome. But really you're following another set of characters who, you know, are doomed to fucking die at the end of season three. And then they started trying to make Cersei and Jamie these empathetic, relatable characters, but it's like they're fucking shitty. I don't want to root for Cersei. Stop trying to do that. You know, and then they, they introduce a couple characters just so quickly and suddenly, like, I'm supposed to care about Bran of Tarth, who just shows up and gives her sword to fucking anybody. I love, I love Brienne. I love Brienne. I love Jamie. I think they made Cersei a little bit too, like, hyper-competent in the show. Okay. She's supposed to be, like, basically completely crazy in the book. And, like, every time she has a victory, she's, like, stumbling ass backwards into it until she gets locked up by the, the sparrows and then, like... She's like, oh shit, what have I done? I'm really not my father. And like that's hammered home by uh, Jamie. Like one of his uh, aunts basically tells him like you, like both you and Cersei think you're Tywin, but it's like uh, Tyrion is Tywin's like real son. Like that's who is the the Tywin of the family. And it's like, so the show has done a lot of weird things in that way. And it's weird also that they made Rob such a main character because he never got a POV chapter in any of the books. Right. That's what I hear. So like he's the only one, only one of the Stark kids that doesn't get POV chapters. Really weird. Well, I guess Rickon didn't either. But also bringing back Rickon to the Battle of the Bastards is like the one downfall of that episode. Like yeah, they had to kill him eventually because they were literally doing nothing with him. Yeah, but they've done nothing with him in the books either. So they're probably just like, well, what do we do with this guy? Well, I, I found it interesting that they brought him back out of nowhere. But like they needed, you needed sort of the emotional punch, you know? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's got it's it's a great show. It's got a, its issues, but overall, it's really great. The characters are, are phenomenal. Tyrion is outstanding. I do have to say about the newest season, his weird little accent that he tries to do too. Oh, dude, it's so, it's awful, so cute. but it's great. <laughs> the seventh season got away from the really nuanced sort of political, like you know, you the the viewer questions like, well, who was right? Because you you can kind of see it from both perspectives. That's where they, in some ways, failed Cersei because Cersei is just very, very evil. Even though you do see her motivation, her kids, for example, you know, so you see some of that. But, but overall, most of the characters and most of you, like, you know, you know, between Stannis and the Lannisters, and and then what the Starks are doing, it's like you don't know who to root for because you're just all over the place. They lost that in season seven, and it very much became the. It became very black and white. It's not so morally gray. It's the good guys versus the bad guys, and in some ways, it makes sense. You kind of have to get there eventually. You have to end the story and you have to end the story with like, you can't just end it gray and be like, who knows? Like, that's not a very satisfying ending. I mean, I to, I agree to a point, but what made the show so strong was it was it was so character driven. And in season seven, it really moved towards being very plot driven. And again, I think if you look at the trajectory, it makes sense because you have all these warring sub factions and all these great complex characters doing their thing. But really, the overarching issue was always the walkers, and they spent seven years, eight years building up to that. So it makes sense that we're here, and now it's very plot-driven, because the characters, while they do matter, suddenly everyone has to worry about the same thing. 
and, and and not to mention introducing like characters at the eleventh hour, like Euron. Yeah, what, joy. they should have done that a little bit sooner. Should have done that like two seasons sooner when they did it in the books, but you know, whatever. But they had a lot going on. And th- things like, so we got the Golden Company coming, but we don't know shit about who the Blackfires are. Yeah, did they establish the Golden Company similarly in the show where uh, Tyrion was there? They didn't establish anything. All they said was at the in the seventh season, like, oh, we're hiring the Golden Company. They're going to come. So they don't like they haven't established that the Golden Company was like started by a Blackfire, like a bastard child of the the Targaryens. Targaryen. No, like, like, it's just a so that's a bummer. Maybe they'll do that in the six like two hour episodes they do in like a week or two. When does that start? Like April next week, twentieth or something. Sunday, <laughs> a week for yeah. So oh my god. <laughs> anyway, this is now a Game of Thrones podcast. All that to say, I got super into like I was having flashbacks to like homeschool with your mom, doing like medieval studies and like. Draw your coat of arms. Exactly. Uh, so I, I I picked up Skyrim again on my Switch, picked up that save, and and was just sort of like soaking in the medieval nonsense and did that for a couple days. But it's cool. What have you been playing? I, I, earlier I said Sekiro, of course, and you're like, no. Which shocked me considering it's like two of your favorite games, but with ninjas. I mean, samurai. Yeah, I want to get Sekiro. I'm... I'll probably just wait till it's on sale. Like it's a single player game, so it's not like I'm really missing out on anything by right. getting it right now. And I've got a lot of other games to play. Like I got a, I imported a game. Like I pre-ordered it like three weeks ago or something, and it finally came. And it's just a cute little pixel art kind of top-down Zelda-ish game. It's called Reverie. It visually looks kind of like Earthbound, but it's like a, like it's sort of Earthbound-ish in that you're just in a regular ass town and you've got a cricket bat that you're fighting enemies with and you get a, a yo-yo and shit but it's Zelda you're going through dungeons you're fighting bosses doing all that kind of shit uh, it's it's fun it's cute it's got like very New Zealand vibes it's got nice uh, music that um, looks uh, just like Earthbound yeah I mean clearly but I, I played that for about uh, six hours I'm maybe halfway through it I'll gotta pick it back up but I've been distracted by playing a lot of Risk of Rain 2 which had early access I think last week maybe a week and a half ago and they're doing a promotional thing where it was like buy one, get one free. So you'd you'd buy the game in early access and then give a copy to your buddy. So I ended up getting that from Andrew, and then like Max got it and he gave his copy to Jordan. And then we were trying to get Mac to get it, but he doesn't have a PC. He only has a MacBook, so he can't play it. But a Mac. It's been scratching that same itch that Risk of Rain One did. Which, if you know me, I'm not really like taken to the whole uh, roguelike loop too much like there are certain games that hit me if they have a really satisfying gameplay loop that it's nice to sort of have that incremental progression like rogue legacy or even dead cells didn't really scratch that itch as much as it did for you but risk of rain the first one i i put in over 100 hours and this one i'm like it's like infecting my brain i'm just thinking about it like there's not much to do you're just sort of doing runs and getting cool items each run and trying to get as strong as fast and ridiculous as possible but it's just really satisfying and this one as opposed to being a 2d sort of run and gun action platformer this is a third person shooter where it's over the shoulder and you're bopping around and the levels aren't as procedural like you're kind of always hitting like there are two starting areas there are two secondary areas and the third and fourth areas are always the same early access obviously and a lot less enemies and the items aren't as uh, fleshed out yet, but 
they're doing updates. Like I just read through a blog post they did where they're talking about what they're going to try and balance. Like, oh, the damage over time on the fire is too strong, you know, stuff like that. But it's really cool. They've got a nice variety of uh, characters you can unlock and play as. I've been playing a lot as a Huntress who her, uh, instead of just being like a normal hit scan shot, her main fire is if you have an enemy on screen, it'll have like a little marker around them and you'll just like shoot arrows that home in on them. And then her secondary ability, you throw out this staff that hits one enemy, then bounces and hits another if they're close enough and it hits up to five different enemies. And then her, she's got a mobility option where she teleports, but it's like directional based. So if you just like look straight up and teleport, you'll just like shoot straight up. And then her longest cooldown is like this. Uh, you move a cursor around, then you select an area, and then like, this rain of arrows just fires in this one location. So she's got some really cool DPS and mobility options, and I really enjoyed playing as her. And like all the different items you get, you can get items that increase your run speed, increase your your uh, chance for a critical hit, increase your fire rate, or like if you get, you have a ten percent chance of shooting out a missile whenever you fire, and you'll just like shoot out this homing missile and it's fucks up an enemy or all your attacks do exploding damage so if you have two enemies close to each other they'll both get exploded and hit by that that one hit and like a million different items that they all stack and increase their own ability power so it's not like you're losing out if you get two of the same item it's just getting stronger and stronger so you just get so crazy overpowered and you start realizing oh i've been playing this game for three hours and i'm still in the same run i'm, I'm just crazy overpowered right now and then when you die and start over you're like man this is way slower and so this is really interesting kind of how you progress and level up and just you feel so much stronger at the end than you do at the beginning. So how much carries over after a run? Because my biggest frustration with, with rogue lights are if, if there isn't enough progression and I feel like I'm really taking a step back and it's almost like, why am I, why am I doing this again? Like there, there's a fine line, I think, and a tough balance you have to try and achieve so that it, it feels like you you know you're eager to jump back in because you saw that progression and you're like okay I can do that again and you know you'd be even better off if that if that's too far of a drop it you lose incentive I feel like to play yeah and I agree that's totally true I am just so taken to the gameplay loop that this developer has established with this game and the game before it like it's just so much fun to play okay. that I don't mind starting over from the beginning and the stuff you do um, it's like just unlocks. You're unlocking the ability to find this item. You're getting cool log like logs of the enemies and you're getting cool lore, like in-game lore messages of like what these enemies are called and who discovered them. It's this very, you know, ephemeral kind of lore building, world building kind of stuff, but I'm into it. It's a really nice setting. The music's awesome. So like it's just got this nice vibe that I like interacting with. Okay. So yeah, basically all you're doing is unlocking, like you start off with one character and then after you survive three rounds, you unlock another character. After you survive 30 total rounds, not in one run, but uh, just overall, you unlock another character. If you find like a secret portal and like you can buy another character from that one. If you like quote unquote finish the game, like after enough runs, you can find another. Like there's these, the teleporter after each level, you know, someone's a boss. And you have to survive for like 90 seconds and kill the boss. And that's how you get to the next level. But occasionally you'll find these uh, things that open up these portals that will bring you to like a special level that is like there's a shopkeeper like between time basically. Or you land on this island and you have to fight all these enemies and uh, pay off these altars so you can actually damage the boss. Like the boss is immune until you've paid off all these altars. So it's like a survival test. And like there's different kind of challenges that they've started incorporating. And, and obviously it's early access. They have... Uh, 
six, seven characters available right now. And I think there's going to be four more that they've confirmed. And there was another thing in the previous game called Artifacts where you could change how the game played, like the entire game. So like from the, the last game, there was something called uh, Glass where you had a tenth of your health, but you did five, as, five times as much damage. So it was like Glass Cannon, high risk, high reward kind of thing. Or there was one that made all the enemies elite versions of themselves. So like color swapped with higher health and uh, effects basically. Or, you know, stuff like that to add like challenge or like make it more interesting and sort of shake things up a little bit. So there's, it's really fun. I'm waiting to see what they do with updates, but this is like almost a live service game in that way. Like it's me and my buddies hopping in and doing runs and doing cool shit and like seeing how far we can get or just enjoying our time, hanging out, playing the game together. That's, it's a nice golf game in that way. How do you feel about early access games in general? I feel like on one hand, it's cool to put something out there that you're willing to craft and evolve as your audience consumes it and gives you feedback. But on the other hand, it feels like you just kind of want the game that developers intended and you just want to experience it and then move on. I think it depends on the game. Like this is a game that I think plays really well into an early access model because it is a game that requires a lot of balance. And I think that the only way that I could get that kind of balance is through player feedback through like a wide swath of players, not just like this is like a, a small indie team. Like they can't afford to pay QA and like get that kind of feedback. They need to actually throw it out in the wild and get have people tell them, oh, we like this. We don't like this. Can you fix this? I'm encountering this weird bug. Like after like I was reading a thread about someone who's like, yeah, I played the game for eight hours and enemies stopped spawning. I'm like, dude, you played the game for eight hours. What's wrong with you? But also, yeah, that's a problem. Like they should fix that. There's like some weird math error that they fucked up with that they, that nobody should encounter, but you did. Like, congrats. I feel like I but, feel like if he was like, I played for 21 hours, but eight hours doesn't seem like that much, right? Hours is that's a long time. <laughs> I mean, I've been known to to put in a couple of eight, ten hour sessions in without nary a break, Nick. Nary a break. Well, you're just a hardcore gamer, and I just don't understand that. I put in three <laughs> hours, and I'm like, man, this I'm getting tired. My eyes hurt. I should go lay down. Okay, I gotta pull up this tweet from that went around this week. Oh my god, is it the one where you're uh you're robbing yourself the the joy or whatever that one? Okay, hold on a sec. There there is what I think is is a tweet made in jest. It's an ironic tweet. It's ironically pointing out the really small subset of people who have this mindset, but really it's just funny for the rest of us. It was posted on like Gaming Circle Jerk, the sub. So it's like totally a joke. It, no, you're not a gamer. I'm so sick of all these people who think they're gamers. No, you're not. Most of you aren't even close to being gamers. I see these people saying, I put well over 100 hours into the, into this game. It's great. That's nothing. Most of us can put easily 300 plus hours into all of our games. <laughs> I see people who only have the Nintendo Switch and claim to be real gamers. Come talk to me when you pick up a PS4 controller. Then we can be friends. <laughs> okay, this is where it gets good. Also, dear all women... Pokemon is not a real game. Animal Crossing is not a real game. The Sims is not a real game. Mario is not a real game. Stardew Valley is not a real game. Mobile games are not real games. Put down the baby games and play something that requires challenge and skill for once. Sincerely, all of the actual gamers. Okay? Super funny. It's funny. I thought you were talking about the newer one that was talking about... Uh, it was like some reply to some article. Like there was a, a Eurogamer article like two Eurogame articles. One of them was like, 
Sekiro is difficult, but it's worth the challenge. Like why you should play Sekiro basically. And then another article the guy wrote that was like, so I use cheats to beat the final boss in Sekiro and I don't feel bad. Here's why. <laughs> so right. someone like pointed that out. Like one of the replies of it was like, you cheated not only the game, but yourself. You didn't grow. You didn't improve. You took a shortcut and gained nothing. Oh, yeah. You experienced a hollow victory. Nothing was risked and nothing was gained. It's sad that you don't know the difference. Right. It's just so fun. I love the the memes of like hardcore gamer culture. Big fan of it. It's dude. It's it's truly fascinating to know that there are people out there. But but on the other and side, there's an, equal, there's an equal number of people that get so salty at people making these jokes. They're like, "Why are you attacking my 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 hobby?" So <laughs> Stealth on Twitter, Stealth Forty K, <laughs> posted his reaction to 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 the one I read off about. He's like. I'm not sure where this originated, but I've seen it posted a few times. It gets me very angry every time I see it. We all enjoy <laughs> video games differently. And nobody has the right to decide what makes someone a real gamer. And then he goes on to say, not only is this stupid, it's sexist as hell and really just insulting. Well, I hope this is not real uh, and something written to me make a point. Unfortunately, I see people saying enough of these things with the same sen- sentiment that uh, it bothers me You know, all the same. And I'm just like, take off that fucking white armor, bro. It's a, just a bit. Nobody believes that. And the people who do, it's like this very vocal minority on the deep, dark depths of the internet, not the people actually interacting with you. Yeah, they're making them seem much more important than they actually are. Right. I got I gotta. While we're on the topic of tweets here, I got the. Uh, I got a kick out of a retweet that you posted. I didn't realize you actually had retweeted it. My brother pointed it out to me. I was with Andrew, and he showed it to me. And my first reaction was Gunt, which is your Smash Bros name. So so the, the tweet is Link Mains. Name stuff like Mark and John92. Uh, always choose rematch after losing. And then Young Link Mains. Name stuff like XX, Dark Lord XX. Only ever neutral BS. And then Yoshi Mains. Name stuff like Piss in My Balls and Mr. Sperm. All four postgame messages set to Dunktastic dishonorable and i'm like oh my god it's literally nick and so i just retweeted it and said gunt and then andrew was like nick's the one that retweeted it and i said of oh, fucking course he did dishonorable with a u of course that's why i retweeted it man i was like it me <laughs> mr sperm <laughs> <laughs> oh man I, that was just a real a real hoot and holler I, i'm just a big fan of a lot of the smash memes that have popped up since uh, ultimate came out because i mean it's it, 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 it's more and more real. It's a real popular day. game. A lot of people know. They know the struggle. Fighting Ganon's online, you know? Right. A couple things we actually need to jump to, unless there's anything else that you've really put some time into that you wanted to chat about. No, that's mostly it. I've been watching a little bit of Umbrella Academy. Oh. I think that's an all, an all right show. Okay. Some nice melodrama, some, some superhero-esque stuff. It tries a little bit too hard to be edgy. You know, it's written by Gerard Way, yeah, so of course. Say, of course. I mean... When yeah. I was a young boy, my father <laughs> took me into the city, the city. <laughs> to say I'm marching band. Oh, man. My chemical romance. Yikes. That's, I love Straight from the Path. Uh, just because <laughs> Drew York looks like Downsy Gerard Way does not mean they're anything alike, okay? In the back of a cop car. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, their last album I actually really enjoyed, okay? Yeah, well, you liked yeah, the Rising Sun, so... It was just called Rising Sun, okay? Okay, whatever. And it was really fucking good. I just talked to Max about that. We were... I know. 
fuck, man. And I'm sure, I'm sure you got the very accurate representation of the conversation coming from Max. Calling you out, Max. No, he was being fine. He was just like recounting that you were talking about how we have such weird taste in music and that we have like such strange overlaps. And it's weird that we even get along musically when we have so many like jarring differences and stuff like that. But it's, it's so similar how like each of us, like on our list of favorite records, there's a North Lane record on there, but they're very different records. And you're like, Oh, the one you like is terrible. Yeah, it's not singularity. I'll tell you that. Right well, now. That's for me. It's I'm like, God, the album is so fucking good. Or like straight from the path. I'm like rising sun is their, is their heaviest, most polished, they make your own history is way heavier, dude. It's not heavier. It's it is rowdier. Heavier. It's not heavier, dude. Rowdy is heavy, my dude. Wait, see, that's the thing is, we have these different definitions of like you know. And I I was dissecting the you know the the the, the nitty gritty behind what I like, and I'm like, I really like polished core music. Yeah, you like Deep Blue, and I like good albums. <laughs> no, Deep Blue is not is like their fourth best record, but like it was different and did something that no one else had started quite doing yet. And that sort of just bouncy bro, Corey, like want to be hardcore, but like what became really popular a few years later, deep blue did before everyone else, but then parkway drive just fucking sold out and was really shitty. I would, I mean, I don't know if they were the first to do that. I feel like no, maybe but, ghost inside did that before them. I'm not sure how, what their trajectory was like. The only ghost inside I like is when they uh, are featured on other band stuff. Oh, dude, I love uh, I really like Returners, but Get What You Give is a f- really great record. But anyway, this is the Concert Crusade podcast. Talk about video games, not Game of Thrones and, and hardcore music. Metalcore. And, <laughs> and uh, I did tell Max that punk music fucking sucks. And no matter how important it is or how much you enjoy it, it's fucking awful and is only a stepping stone for good music. I was like, same with hardcore music. Like, hardcore music, it's like post hardcore is so great because people took what made hardcore good and just added melody and made good songs. And it's like, oh, post-hardcore is great. Even though post-hardcore is so broad now. Yeah, punk music's important, but punk music fucking sucks, and it's always sucked. Yeah, it's like, yeah, man, I'm a big fan of uh, leaves. I love when they turn red and fall off the tree. And so I'll be like, yo, but do you like seeds? Because you should like seeds if you appreciate leaves. It's like, <laughs> no, I like this thing, not the thing that it came from. Fuck yeah, exactly, off. exactly. And it's like, go back to 1980. <laughs> And it says a lot about people who like that sort of thing where it's like, I see what you're doing, but it's less about the music. Even if you enjoy the music, it's less about the music because there's a better version of this, you know, but it's not as authentic or it's not as, I don't know. I don't know, man. We got into it. And I finally just said, Max, we're never going to agree on this. Like we were never going to see eye to eye. I totally agree with everything you're saying. You love, punk, you love punk music. I don't deny that. It's still bad. <laughs> the same way like kiss is not good, but it's still like, Hugely important music in the grand scheme of like music of the 21st century showmanship and makeup. And yeah, I mean, the, the, the music we have now is in most ways directly. You can think like kiss at their prime in 19 fucking 70. You know, yeah, seven. you think share too, but you don't have to think share. Well, at least share was decent for a time. At Do least believe in life after love. It's dude. like saying it's like, it's like Mario brothers on the NES, the best game. People think that. They're wrong, but they think it. <laughs> it's hugely important. It's the reason modern video games are what they are, but it's it's not better than any of the Mario games that came after it. Well, maybe with a few exceptions, but you know. Better than Lost Levels. Fake ROM hack video game. <laughs> I say Lost Levels is just the fucking, literally the Lost Levels from the first game, so it's, it's the fucking B-sides, dude. B-sides of a punk album. You want to talk about the dregs 
of all art, dude, it's the B-side on a punk album. Okay. It doesn't get worse than that. I actually um, think that what's the the Silverstein put out a, a B-sides punk record. Basically, it was just like two minute little song ideas. And there's like 30 of them all in one record. Huh. And there's a lot of really good stuff on that album. And I'm not really even too big into Silverstein. So there, for every rule, there's the exception, obviously. Of course. Of course. Broad sweeping statements on a subjective art form. It's like who you can't really say one thing definitively and then stick to it. You got to sort of this is what I feel at this moment about these things, these particular things I have in my mind, but we're not necessarily thinking the same thing. Right. Yeah. Well put, sir. Truly well put. (laughs) I got to level you out sometimes before you inflame too many of our listeners. Uh, Well, I'm sure most of our listeners are pretty level-headed people who are capable of reasonable discussion regarding, you know, objective subject matter. Subjective object matter. What did I just say? I don't even know, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm lost here. I got to tell you a funny bit. Uh, Okay, before we move into, we're going to talk Borderlands, Google Arcadia, Stadia, Arcadia, and Nintendo VR here in the remaining few minutes. But I just got to tell this to you because I remembered it and we haven't talked in three weeks. Went home this weekend or last week, I guess. And I went to give Daniel just like a a handshake, like a man shake, right? Daniel, the 10-year-old brother, for those of you listening. And he gave me like a solid handshake. I was like, whoa, do that again. Was that an accident? Shook his hand. And I was like, dude, kid's got a like a like a good, not just a strong grip, but like a good handshake. And his tiny little hand somehow shook my hand like a normal person. And I was impressed. So I was like, I was like, was that a fluke? Shake my hand. And he shakes my hand and he goes, <laughs> he goes, How's business, Bob? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? And so I hit him with like a I don't know, some some equivalent, but but later he shakes my hand and he goes, How's the fam, Dave? <laughs> it just I just lost it. This fucking kid. And so all day he's like he comes up to me and shakes my hand and tries to think of something new and funny. You know. How's the weather, Tim? Like what I just like dumb fucking water cooler like you know, and I'm like, <laughs> Where's this kid getting this shit? And he kept coming up with them. And so today he's got he's got the Messenger Kids app, so he can text now when he's home, with with access to an old phone on Wi-Fi, right? So he was just texting me random bits. He was trying, he was workshopping. He was workshopping his handshake bits. <laughs> I got a real kick out of that game. Respect game, you know, right, dude? He came out to the beach. Him and my mom came out to the beach, and and I was excited because I was like, oh, we're gonna play some Smash Bros. and just like hang out at the beach for a night. Well, he was a total shithead and ruined the trip for my mom and, and lost his... I took a switch back with me to Eugene. I was like, video games are gone for you, bro. Gone. But uh, he spent a good hour at dinner telling me all about Hello Neighbor on the Nintendo Switch. I remember that being like... People thought it would be like the next big thing. It would be the next Five Nights at Freddy's. A lot of streamer support and like they're trying to get that to be like a big thing. But... I don't know. Um, It just... Doesn't seem like it was that good of a game. Uh, they're touting a lot of uh, things that the game never ended up really making uh, good on, like the because you're basically breaking into this guy's house because you think you're he's a murderer, so you're trying to like find if he's a murderer. But you're in his house and he's looking for you, and they're just like saying, "Oh, the AI is so good, he'll figure out like what your routines are. If he catches you, he like will know that you might go there again." Huh? You know, like it was supposed to be a really smart AI, but that didn't really seem to be the case. Gotcha. I know. I have seen like a clip where it, and it's pretty creepy. He sees you and he chases you down. But yeah, 
kind of goofy. It's supposed to be goofy, not creepy. A little goofy, a little eerie, a little bit like kind of creepy. They made a, a a prequel that was like Hello Neighbor Hide and Seek. That's about like him and his sister when they're kids and they're just playing hide and seek. So it's a little bit less, a little less creepy. Weird. Okay. Maybe more of like a multiplayer thing. I'm not sure. I just, I just know that it's a thing that exists and is real. Games are, are weird. You can't follow them all. There's too many of them. Speaking of too many of them, we're getting a fourth Borderlands game. The third. Well, yeah. The a, pre-sequel. A f- we're getting a fourth Borderlands game and they've, they're all really the same game. Really? A lot of games are just the same game when you make a sequel if you're not like into it. But the difference between a, a game like Assassin's Creed or like, I don't know, something with its own unique story each time versus like eh, Borderlands. It's just it's just a loot shooter with local Wasn't co-op. the first one more of just like being a vault hunter and the second one's more about taking down Handsome Jack? Yeah, but the story, it's like the story in like League of Legends or WoW. It's totally ancillary. Or Destiny. Or Destiny. It, different, but yeah, different, but same. Or like Monster Hunter. Wait, yeah, it's just, it's it means to It to be different, end. like story-wise. It just needs to be different enough to the people that are into it and still be like enticing to a, a new crowd, which I think Borderlands is kind of like a vanilla enough that you're just like, yeah, you know, you're a cartoon character and you're shooting these these enemies and numbers pop out and you're getting these guns that have legs and there's a billion of them. You know, here's our here's our tone that's like generic gamer tone, but like no other games are actually doing that. Yeah, it just they have to release new Borderlands games just to keep it fresh or quote unquote fresh just to keep the install base. I mean, it's been seven years since they put out a Borderlands game, so it's not like they need to. They just haven't in a while. This is the first one of this generation. I mean, that's true. It's true. But, it, but it, you know, it's just it's like not a not a, a franchise that could survive on DLC like an online game kit, you know, can eh, probably could. It's just like easier to make money if you're popping out a $60 product every few years. It seems like they kind of deviated and tried to do other stuff and they were met with massive failure. So it makes sense for them to go back to the cash cow, not do another aliens, colonial Marines or a what battleborn. Was right. there like a weird overwatch clone? Yeah. Well, it's at first I was intrigued and I said, Oh, this would be great. I would love a new borderlands game. I can play on the switch. Well, they didn't come to switch. So I'm like, well, what's the point of me getting another borderlands game on PC or PS4? I have the other three and it's the same thing. If I want to go play borderlands with some friends, I'll go play any of the other one and have the exact same experience. So I was kind of bummed about that. That's not coming to Switch. And then they released that it was like remastered for PC. You could download it for free if you own the other versions. And I'm like, it's the same cell shaded graphics you've been doing for fucking 12 years. What do you mean remastered? It's not, it's the, it looks, it's the same thing, you know? There are other like minor updates. Like you can, um, there's like more quality of life stuff that they added in the, in two that they sort of retrofit on one and made it so you could put on different, um, like headpieces basically to, sort of different differentiate yourself from other players i guess sure. i don't know i'm not like into borderlands i played borderlands 2 for maybe like three hours with some friends once and they're just sprinting through the game because they've been playing for hundreds of hours and i'm just like i've never played this before what do i do they're right. just like oh shoot stuff i'm like well this is not a good first experience right. for me i got really into the first one uh we beat the first one um kind of a disappointing ending and we, we started the second one and played that for several hours uh, and it was fun. I had a good play group that we we played every day back when I was just I had just started college. And it was it was a really fun time. And then I got the pre or I got the Handsome Jack collection on the PS4 a couple years later. But it was around the time Destiny really took off for me, and so I, I kind of dabbled with some friends. But we all really were playing Destiny, and so we never went back to it. So I'm like, okay, eh, my friends get Borderlands Three, I'll play it. But the fact that it's not coming to Switch, I think is going to dissuade a lot of people who were really hoping for for a release like that. But 
the big thing regarding the announcement, initially a leak, and then they confirmed it with the trailer, was the announcement that it is not coming to Steam day and date, but it has an uh, exclusive deal with Epic Game Store. Controversy. And we talked about this on the last episode a little bit about how do you how do you keep you know developers from being shady using Steam you know as free marketing essentially. And I don't know exactly how you solve that, but what do you mean by like using it as free marketing? Saying your game is going to come to Steam and then it's plastered all over Steam and then at the final hour you're like it's coming to Steam but not for 12 more months and it's exclusive to the Epic Game Store. Well, and I think that only happened once, didn't it? It's becoming a trend as Epic is sort of taking off and and poaching major developers who are signing lucrative exclusivity deals. I say let the the game companies make money. I mean, if Steam really wanted to compete instead of like throwing a bitch fit and crying about consumer rights when they are not a consumer, they are a platform. Like they can't pretend to be like one of us. If they really cared, they would pay, they would offer money to to 2K and be like, "Yo, make it exclusive on Steam." Fuck right. fuck Epic. Right. But they've never had to do that before, so they've just been de facto sitting on their laurels sitting at the top of the hill PC platform that they haven't they haven't mobilized quickly enough. They're too busy worrying about their weird VR headset and whatever crap Valve's working on now, their bad card game. Like they just don't really care. <laughs> right. And it'll be on Steam in six months. Like that's a shorter exclusivity window than the division. I think that's a year long exclusive. And it's not truly exclusive. That's also on the UB store, but you know, same goes. Right. It's Steam missing out and and Again, gamers being just giant fucking babies crying about how it's like, dude, just download Epic. And it does make a little bit of sense because this is a multiplayer focused game. And I'm surprised the division didn't have this much lasting sort of holdouts, but maybe because I mean, I don't know. Borderlands is just as much a console game as it is a PC game. Same with the division. Like, right. Whatever. People have such a short memory span about this kind of thing. Like they just want to be mad about something for a week. I mean, you see it from, from everybody. Everybody just likes to be mad about something for a week and then they move on to the next thing to be mad about. Do you, do you remember on Twitter? I think we may have talked about it on the pod, but we, we were bitching about this on Twitter and how people are fucking stupid for crying about the Epic game store. And some guy was talking about, well, they don't care about us or our data security. And he started like arguing about why, Epic Game Stores is trash and this is bad for consumers. Like, he, I don't know. That's all fucking whatever to me. I look at Steam and I look at the Epic Game Store and I'm like, if $60 isn't enough, uh, uh, you know, if $60 isn't gatekeeping you, a fucking email sign up should not be keeping you from this game. You know what I mean? Like $60, 60 hard earned dollars you're willing to spend on this game, but you're not willing to sign up for an, a third party client that isn't steam. Like what, 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 what benefit do you have for being at steam? You can still use steam. I just, it's so fucking asinine. Well, my friends list, dude, fuck you. You're a huge baby. Shut the fuck up. Quit whining. Either play the game or don't. There's more stuff you can do with steam. I can't personally say that I interact with that kind of stuff very much. Like the mod support is cool for like the very few games that I play that, encourage that or like necessitate that and like user reviews are fine like i don't really need a user review to tell if i want a game really like it's mostly just sort of like a judgment of like testing the waters like oh is this game updated and people are really pissed at it that's usually what a user review is good for like it'll say recent bad and you'll be like oh somebody did something controversial or whatever like borderlands 2 like borderlands 2 apparently or like what is it uh, rainbow six when they did some censoring for the chinese market or whatever right and like, it's just like, 
whatever. If I wanted to hear about gamer rage, I could go to a hundred other places, you know? Right. And like friendless support and like doing better messaging. And it's all stuff that like the Epic Game Store have in their roadmap. And I don't need to be like a defender of Epic. Like they're a giant company who makes millions of dollars off of just one game. But like, I'm not also in love with Valve. Like I don't really need to defend either storefront. It's just like, why are you getting so mad about this game being somewhere else? All you're doing is giving them more like steam. <laughs> oh, oh! <laughs> like you're giving you're giving them free marketing by being mad about it because then other people can stand on their soapbox and be like, the gamers are mad, right? And it's just like a like a circular, like Ouroboros of hatred. It's like whatever. It's, it's, it's a circle jerk, but you know, yeah, Ouroboros of hatred. Jerk. I like that a lot. Well, yeah, Borderlands Two got review bombed over this, and I saw some articles saying like, like it or not, this is the only way, you know that fans can communicate with developers. It is a good way to, to communicate with developers. I like guess one of the only ways that someone could do like something more effective than just not buying the game. Like it's uh, what yeah. protests are for. It's like, yeah. a, it's a way to speak out. It's a way to make your voice heard. And if it actually affects their bottom line, if it dissuades people from buying their game, like that's a, a good way to do that. It's just so easily weaponized by like a small number of people that it sort of snowballs. And it's like a weird thing to do for a game that's not out yet. Like you're not mad at Borderlands 2, you're mad at Borderlands 3. Well, meanwhile, Steam comes in and completely just deletes user reviews. Like, bye. Doesn't matter. You're abusing this privilege. Yeah, and if it's it's an irrelevant review, like by all means, delete them. I think people should also be wary of Steam deleting like legitimate reviews. But like if you're leaving a review on Borderlands 2 saying Borderlands 3 epic bad and like that's it then that's not a relevant review to Borderlands 2. Uh, that, that was an interesting couple of days on Twitter. You know, it's just a giant circle jerk. It's, you know, it's like every community has its bad eggs and has its toxicity and has its sort of aspects that you can kind of point out and make fun of and it's sort of memeable. You know, it's like we played music for years, right? And you, looked at, you look at like the local hardcore scene or something and it's a fucking joke. In a lot of ways, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there is it's got its redeeming qualities too. I look at quote-unquote gaming, and nothing about gamer, gamer culture is appealing. Nothing. Even the positive aspects are kind of like gnarly. Gaming as a culture and not as a hobby or as a, it's not for me, which is funny because we're doing a fucking video game podcast or we're talking about this stuff, but... You have to be the change you want to see, right? It's really easy to focus on the negative things and like the people who make it seem like gaming is their one thing. Yeah. And like Ugh. you and I, we just spent half an hour talking about game of Thrones and like music. Right. And like, sure. Those are just media that we consume and it's not really too indicative of who we are as people, but like at least we can talk about more than one thing. Yeah. And it's hard for, I mean, obviously if you're talking about a steam review, you're, at a place where it's literally all games. It's a, a game platform with game reviews. Obviously you're only going to be seeing that sort of aspect of it. So it's kind of tough. It's really easy to be like to focus on the negative and not see the positive, but I do agree. It's kind of cringy to be like, yeah, I'm a gamer. That's why it's so funny when like you read that, that bit where it's like, you're not a real gamer. Like it's like the gatekeeping thing you see in any community where people get too protective of their hobby and they identify too strong with it. And it becomes their like one thing. It's their, it's their identity. And like, yeah, that's a trap that you can fall into with anything, but it seems really, really, really common in, in stuff like games. Just like I never want to. I don't. I don't ever want to like lead a conversation and be like, "Oh, what are you into?" I'm never going to say video games. Like that's not going to be a thing I say. 
Like, if anything, I would say, like, a specific game, like, oh, I like playing Smash Bros. Like, I would say that. But I'm not going to be like, yeah, I'm a gamer. Who who says that? I, like, <laughs> if you go to my Twitter and, like, as succinctly as possible, how do I sum up, like, videographer by day, large man with anxiety by night, NBA video games, music, mostly couch tweets. Like, that's a good broad overview. I put video games, even though that's, like, such a minor part of even what I do in my free time now. You know, I'm like, yeah, what do, what do I do in my free time? Well, I, I watch basketball sometimes and I, I play music and I play video games and it's like, that's what I do in my free time. I drink beer, like, you know. Chat with friends. Yeah, I mean, what do, what do people do? I don't know. It's like, what do I do in my free time? I hike? I don't, like, that's fucking stupid. I'm a hiker. Like, that's my thing. I'm a hiker. Okay. I mean, that's, some people have that as their thing. Like, it's really easy to attach to a hobby and make that, like, your your identity. Yeah. So it's just that gaming, I guess maybe because it's like a newer thing or because it's so intertwined with like communicating with strangers online that it's gotten to a point where you are so used to being the stranger. You're supposed, you're so used to being the, the small voice shouting into a, an empty room that when suddenly people can like retweet you and take your funny gamer take as serious and it gets elevated into this thing where you can, you it becomes like a binary choice. Like you either believe in this or you don't believe in this and you're wrong if you do and if you're right if you don't like it's just a, a weird sort of combination of how social media has taken over a lot of our sort of generations uh, yeah. society and how we communicate with each other and how we propagate ideas and beliefs and what that means that it's sort of a weird thing that that's coincided with our hobby being like one of the hugest entertainment like money makers in the in the world like right. video games make more money than movies do now. It's insane. And music hasn't made money in 20 years because the DMCA decided to fuck everybody. I want, I do want to say I see the validity in like being protective of what you're really into, especially if it's niche or especially if it's all you're into. Like I look at things like music or I look at even growing up, you know, for a long time I was really protective of nerd culture because I grew up a total dweeb. I got fucking made fun of for the things I liked. You know, I I would hide my fucking Star Wars books inside another library book when I was reading during, you know, we'd have, we'd have half hour to read at the beginning of every class. Like, I didn't want people to know because I got made fun of and I wanted to be a cool kid, but I still love that stuff. My favorite things growing up, Star Wars, Harry Potter, um, you know, video games, comic books, right? Superheroes. When it finally started coming into the mainstream, I was very protective of it because part of it was like a, a jealousy thing. And it was like, how dare you get to enjoy this thing that I suffered for? And like, you're like bitter and jealous that it's that easy. But, but also I think there's a fear of it being changed and ru- or ruined. Really, you, you equate change with destruction. And so when I look at music and it's like, I don't want this band to get really popular because if they do, they're going to have to cater to a wider audience and they're going to change. They're going to drift towards the mainstream. Sell out. Well, that's why I, there's like, there's the people who are mad about sellouts and people who say, fuck you. If you think a band sold out good for them, there's a middle ground where it's like, you, you don't have to call every successful band a sellout and you don't have to defend every band who actually does sell out. Like, a band can become successful without compromising what it is they do and still be who they are, right? And and vice versa. But the fear is there that like, hey, if this thing gets popular, this thing that I love for very specific reasons, if they have to drift towards the mainstream, then they lose or it's possible to lose the thing that made them what they were. And 
I think there's a fear with that in gaming. Like if everyone wants to play fucking mobile games, that's all we're going to get. But it's like, dude, you guys are bitching about this shit. Sekiro just came out and everyone's crying because there's not an easy mode. And you're, you're like worried that because babies want to play Pokemon that they're going to quit making games for you. Like that's, that's where it's asinine. Like there are so many games still being made for you. Who cares who plays what? You're not in any danger of having your hobby changed or altered or catered to somebody else. Like, you know what I mean? It like especially on the heels of like the the whole controversy with did you you read all the articles about Sekiro and the easy mode and how it's like insulting that a developer would do this to gamers? Like totally the opposite end of the spectrum. A lot of weird anger on both sides and like people trying to co opt it into being like. This is our our gold standard of a game that doesn't sacrifice its artistic vision or this is a the gold standard of a game that isn't you know trying to be appealing to a wide audience and it's like the game doesn't have to do anything the game is just the game and the developers made the game like I think everyone has the has the right and like the responsibility to be like this is my opinion and that's what it is, but you don't have to fight other people for having a different opinion. It's just really weird. Like you can enjoy games that have easy modes and you can enjoy games that don't have easy modes. Like it doesn't have to be like a a big divisive kind of issue. Seems to be like making a, making a lot out of a little and being like trying to draw lines in the sand and then the tide comes in and then the new game comes out and then you have to draw different lines in the sand so you can fight with other people about it again and again and again over and over ad nauseum. You know, I, I again, I can see both sides. I, I see on one, the one hand, it's like, well, if we cater to the easy mode, then games are just going to drift towards, you know, less challenge overall. There's a fear there. I get that. I think my my main, I guess, issue against, um, or like the main reason I would say that it, uh, not every game needs an easy mode is because it's really hard to make a good easy mode. Like if you just do a unless you make it completely customizable, like something like Celeste did. If you just say, okay, this is easy, medium, hard. You're making three games then. Cause you don't want to make a, a game and be like, okay, here's the, the mode with the numbers turned down and the mode with the numbers turned up. Because then if someone's like, I'm looking for a challenge, this isn't challenging. It's just frustrating because their enemies are one shotting me or this isn't easy. This is boring. So the only problem I have with that is, if a reviewer reviews that game and doesn't like disclose what like difficulty they play it on, or it just adds another layer of obfuscation between the reviewer and like the reader of the review where it becomes harder to be like, what is the person's experience? Am I going to get the same experience if I play this game? Am I better at this game than the person reviewing it? How do I know these things? It becomes like a really weird sort of bunch of hoops you have to jump through just to find out if the game is good. Cause if you went through and played halo on easy and you're like, yeah, I played this game. It was uh, it was pretty boring. I sort of just breezed through it. Then someone reading that's like, oh, maybe this game isn't very good. Or if you played through on Legendary, this game was fucking difficult. It's so bullshit. You die, you start at the beginning of the level. I don't know why the fuck they're doing this to me. Then it's like, oh man, this game sounds way too hard. I don't want to buy this. So it's just like another layer there that is just weird. And then you got people talking about accessibility and it's like, well, do games need to be accessible? It's like, yeah, you kind of want to shoot for that. Obviously, you know, you want to make a game that's as available to as many people as you want, but like, are you sacrificing your vision for the game? Like you have this idea for a thing. Do you have to make sure that everyone can enjoy it? Like, it's like if you painted a painting and someone who's colorblind comes up, it's like, well, I don't really appreciate this because I can't differentiate the reds from the greens. It's like, well, I painted this painting from my vision. 
and I'm sure there are people who could make a game that's very, very accessible, but like they have to make that game too. You can't just make everyone's creative vision fit into your own specific like use case. So it's really difficult. It's really hard, especially since games aren't just artistic visions, they're products. Like Activision wants Sekiro to sell. Activision paid from software to make this game. So it's just a huge clusterfuck of uh, people with different ideals and different like goals for a product and a, a video game and a piece of art. It's super messy. I mean, no one wants to be excluded. That's where, that's the root of it, right? Is like this, this game looks great. I would love to experience something that seems so unique and, you know, like, but, but, you know, I can't expect my 10 year old brother to, to ever play a game like that. You can't expect me, who's not much better at games than my 10 year old brother to ever play a game like that, but I don't want to be excluded. It's rated M for mature. Your 10 year old brother should not be playing a 17 and up game. I agree, and you know, he, warp his young impressionable mind. But hey, a lot of people do let their kids play trash. Like, I mean, GTA Five wasn't the best selling game ever, and the fastest selling game ever because you know it was only being played by adults. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I know. I I, I definitely agree. Yeah, it's just that that's not their target audience. So you sure, can't well, be, you can't try to accommodate to a kid because not right. every game's for kids. That's true. I mean, that's true. And it's just it's it's just so weird to me that this all came out of like Sekiro, a from software game. Like people love Dark Souls as much because of their lore and their like insanely obscure and like weird mechanics. As much as they just love a hard game, they love to have that badge of honor. They have that 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 chip on their shoulder like yeah i'm one of the the few the proud the people who play dark souls like as toxic as <laughs> yeah. that is like there's a niche there there was a there was a niche in the audience of people that wanted to play hard video games and it wasn't being met and then someone came by and they filled that niche and now people like it's like you were saying they're defensive of it they don't want people to be like come in and co-opt their hard game into something that's accessible to everyone because that takes away their their badge of honor i guess exactly so it really comes down to that toxic, you know, ownership of something that you have no ownership over, you know? But I think also if they made, if they, if From Software made a game that was like Dark Souls and everything but name and was easy, I think people wouldn't like it as much. And it's like, why sacrifice your vision for like the possibility of reaching a broader audience if you lose your main audience? If you lose that hardcore following, then like, what are you even doing? What, what game are you making? Who is this for? I think that's a that's a question that developers ask themselves all the time is like, who are we making this game for? And if they have a solid answer, like from software frequently does, like they know who their audience is and they make their game specifically for that audience, then they're fine. They're set They're They have no worry about losing their audience because they know who their game is for. And it's just weird people commentating on the Internet that try to make it about them, I guess. Right. Well, it's funny you say, who is this for? really leads us nicely into the next two topics that we don't have time for because it's an hour and 20 into this podcast, but Google Stadia and, and uh, Nintendo VR, who is that? Who, what is that for? That makes no sense to me. Well, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about Stadia? Let's breathe. Like I'm talking like three minutes on Stadia because the overwhelming consensus is that it's not happening. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, you know that I, I I was one of the people that that got to test drive Project Stream, which was Google's beta, basically at the end of last year. Yeah, I played I played over an hour of Assassin's Creed Odyssey over the internet. Uh, that was before you got your internet dialed in. 
Well, yeah, that was my old internet, so my upload speed was a lot worse, but it's not about upload speeds, it's about latency. And I don't know what my ping was with Google server. I don't know what the closest uh, server farm they have to me. It's probably in Seattle, I would guess. They might have one in Portland, I'm not sure. But like, that's just a, it's a distance game at that point. And like how well they can interact with ISPs to be like, yo, let us use the, the good stuff. But it worked. Like, it was fine. I mean, Assassin's Creed Odyssey isn't a very like, enticing game like I, I didn't have like a great time playing that like if i had my choice of games i would probably try something that's more um input intensive like had a, a quicker reaction time just out of the gate because that game has like built-in delay so you're you don't feel like you have a, a strong control of your character to begin with but for games like that i think stadia is great and it works works fine it works great try playing like street fighter 5 over uh google stadia yeah, definitely. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to play any fighting game. You can't play like a platform. You can't play Meat Boy on this thing. Um, I think Eurogamer did like a test where they they pressed a button and waited for an action to happen. And it was something like 160 milliseconds of input lag, which translated to like frames, I guess. That's like a sixth of a second. That's like 10 frames of, of a 60 uh, frame per second game. But you can't do a fighting game for that. That's, that's way too long. Right. And like people have a built-in sort of reaction time that they have. And it's it's not... It's not like 10 milliseconds or 10 uh, frames. Like I think uh, 50 milliseconds to 100 milliseconds is about like what you start getting noticeable. Like if your game has input delay or if your TV has bad latency, then you're like, oh, this is like I'm playing underwater. It's like playing a bad online match with Smash Bros, you know. But 167 seconds is like noticeable, but you can deal with it. Um, It seems really interesting. Like you said, with like who is this for? I think the people who have the uh, good enough internet speed or in this like major metropolitan areas and have these interests in these AAA video games are the kind of people who already own a box and they didn't talk about enough of like, what, what are they charging? This is like a really weird split pitch where they're, they're at the, the GDC or that game developers conference. They're talking to developers. They're trying to pitch, you know, these AAA, they're trying to get EA and 2k on board. They want people to make games and put it on their weird Linux servers but they didn't tell a consumer what is this going to cost them? Is this going to be a monthly fee? Are they trying to do like a, an a la carte kind of thing? Are you buying games through stadia as opposed to steam and Epic? Cause people are not happy about there being exclusives on Epic. I can't imagine how they're going to feel about it being exclusive on stadia where they don't even own the game and it's being beamed to their house. And once an update goes live, that's the game now and you don't have a, a, an ability to play the old game. There's no mod support. You can't do shit. So like who, like you're, you're right. Who is this for? And like, what is the use case of someone who wants to go from their TV to their phone? Like, I'm not going to play a game on my TV, then go to my phone. I think with the switch, it's like you're taking a, a small game and putting it on the TV. And then if you want to play it in your hand then that works and you get the Nintendo IPs and it's as an established brand. Nintendo is like the rare use case where that actually works. Google coming in like fresh. They can't handle this. This is like a really weird kind of ask from both developers and consumers. Not to mention Linux. They had to go with a Linux-based operating system. Valve couldn't even get that working, and they got a shit ton of money too and an established platform. They couldn't get hardware out the door, so Google's at least trying to skip that step. But like, what are they trying to sell? What? I still don't know what this is. You know, I I, I feel like if you kind of extrapolate to a best case scenario, there's definitely an interesting value proposition there. It's like, all right, for the cost of a twenty dollars Chromecast, and you know, your your ISP charge every month like you're streaming quality console quality games, you know, maybe a subscription price. I imagine it's, this is not as interesting if you're charging full retail price for video games. It would have to be a subscription model, which 
overall for the vast majority of people who who can actually utilize this with the proper internet this makes more sense than buying a box buying $60 games at retail it, it just it does but i don't think we're quite ready for it google you do what you want to do you know it's not going to take off right now you might not flop and fail but it's not going to take off right now so it's necessary to the growth of you know in the evolution of the industry but it's it's not going to affect the way we're doing things now so we know that microsoft is going to be doing something similar but the difference there is microsoft is doing it as like an additional prong it's like they know that there's people who play on pc they know there are people who like playing on xbox you know simple plug and play and they know that there are also people that don't want to jump in at the $300 price point of an xbox one or they don't want to mess around with the 600 plus dollars that you get from a pc and there are people that do want to play established xbox branded games or they used to have a 360 but they don't want you know there's there's a a market there for them and i think microsoft having competition from google is a good thing because competition makes it better for the consumer right and i think that's really the best case scenario is that uh, stadia will push microsoft to make a better product because they've made a better product because ps4 was like leaps and bounds ahead of xbox one and now they just keep doing more and more cool things because of that like at this point if xbox comes out with another box and it's a decent price i would get that over a ps5 really well i would consider i would definitely consider it a lot stronger because of all the backwards compatibility like i still have games through 360 like like xbox live arcade you know so i would have a a better built-in library than if ps5 came out wasn't backwards compatible which like knowing sony they could do that they would do that I don't. Th- I don't think it's compelling enough for me, or would be even under ideal circumstances. I don't think it would. Also, be. I don't think we're the audience for that. You have an Xbox That's One, true. a PS4, and a Switch and a PC. Right. Like you're a, you're a, like the definition of a of a power user. Even though you don't game as much as like a lot of people would. Like you, you're not paying three hundred ga- like hours of games. Like you're not a real gamer, right? Listen, don't gatekeep me, motherfucker. I'm gamekeeping. Okay. Don't gatekeep these games. <laughs> But like we are not the target audience. We love hardware too much. We love buying things too much. But I think there are people that are more in- invested in services. But also it's getting to the point where how many more $10 a month things can we spend our, our hard-earned monthly uh, income on, you know? Right. Like you're already paying for Hulu, Netflix. You got your internet. You got your, your well, bills. I'm you not paying for those things. Well, you know what I'm saying. Like a lot of people are paying for multiple different TV substitutes because cable got so heinous but now everything's splitting off and you're paying the equivalent of cable of for, for right all these different crap every month you know it's just it's getting too expensive and if it hasn't already gotten too expensive i think it's already like reached its saturation point for subscription model stuff and the apple comes along it's like apple arcade apple magazines <laughs> finally a way to read magazines again <laughs> <laughs> right this is what i've been asking for what are they gonna add no, like introducing the apple payphone you just go into a booth and you pop in a quarter and you can make a call. <laughs> Did you see the Apple credit card? Finally. Like they have all these weird things, but then it's like the one new product that they've tried to introduce in the last how many years totally flopped. They canceled the air power because they couldn't do it. You see that? Well, yeah. They tried to like put like 30 coils in the dumb bitch. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're having uh, thermal issues. Oh, yeah. You fucking think <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, the iPhone shouldn't be on fire, but it is. Right. Introducing Apple Fire. <laughs> Fire. Wait, no, that's Amazon. The last thing on our list. Oh my God, we're going to go two hours, aren't we? 
Nintendo VR. We have talked at length about before when it was just a rumor and a patent, and then uh, then the Labo VR, which were like, oh my god, why is this a thing? And then they confirmed that they're going to support Breath of the Wild and the uh, Mario guy in the city game. I can't remember the name. Odyssey. <laughs> and we're like, I, I, do you remember how steadfast we were that we're like, there's a 0.0% chance they do VR because the switch is an abomination by modern technological standards as far as far as a viewing experience. And if you were, and even as far as computing power, when you're talking VR, the PSVR is a travesty for a VR headset and is several times more powerful than the Switch. There's no way the Switch can do VR. And we, we scoffed at it. We laughed at it. We pointed our finger and mocked it. And here we are with Breath of the Wild VR coming at you in a cardboard. You remember the fucking, oh my God, the bit I did on fucking Twitter about a cardboard VR headset. And when they, when they initially showed the... Um, one of the, the robot one. And I was just like, I can't, it's fucking real. I can't believe it's real. I, it's, it's, and you know what I hate most about it, Nick? I hate most that I really, really want to try it. <laughs> like I really, yeah. I just need to know like, what does this look like? Is it going to be bearable? Am I going to be able to play Breath of the wild without vomiting or having a seizure? The thing is, I don't think you would be able to play it long enough to vomit or have a seizure. Because you'd be really tired of holding your arms up by your face for more than like 10 minutes anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. It'd be like an arm workout of the century. It seems really dumb. Yeah. But also, I mean, we can't even say that Nintendo wouldn't do something so dumb because look at Virtual Boy. I mean, they're not like without failure. Is this the Virtual Boy? I mean, if it's the Virtual Boy, you gotta we got to buy it so that in 10 years when it... Nobody has it. We got some sick cash, a cash cow, you know? It'll be worth $300. Hell yeah, 300 US dollars. You know what's so funny? And as as a reformed, I would say now a reformed collector, I, I don't buy video game things anymore the way I did. Not even, not even at all. So much of it was about the value. It was like, oh my God, this will be worth so much one day. Or, you know, I look at retro games. Like, well, if I don't buy it now, the price is going to go up. And in some very, very rare cases, yeah. But to me, it's like, oh my God, Super Metroid's gone up in price. It's a $60 game. That's a lot of money, but it's what I pay for a new game. It's not like it's going to be a $600 game. It's not like if I don't it's buy this. Earthbound. Well, even Earthbound is like artif very artificially inflated. There are tons of copies of Earthbound out there. Um, not a rare game at all, but probably more rare than Metroid though. Yeah, I don't know how I actually had to quantify that because how would you find out how many units were produced for any given game? Like sold. Yeah. Metroid probably blew, blew a uh, mother out of the water, but they made a ton of game. I mean, I remember, you know, hearing stories about how those, they were being sold for $5 in bins at Best Buys, you know? And, and so there are lots of copies out there. It just didn't sell, um, the, the, those numbers initially, but to think that, if I don't buy this special edition console, it's going to go for thousands of dollars in the future and I'll never own it. No, no, that's not the case. And, and video games as an investment is a fucking hard R retarded idea. Yeah. I mean, it's just any other speculative sort of market like worrying about aftermarket prices on stuff is like such a risky kind of thing because if you're the one who's thinking about it, then there's a likelihood that there are thousands of other people thinking the same thing. Right. Then, 
floods them. Yeah, it just makes it so that everyone who would be interested in it in the aftermarket already has it because they're waiting for it to be expensive. So right, it's kind of a weird kind of proposition. Yep. I don't know, Nintendo. It's another thing. Hopefully, we get some games soon. Get some announcements soon. Smash is coming up. We'll talk Smash the next episode, which I've so said before. We'll talk Smash the next episode. Said that for many episodes. This hasn't been much to say. We're just sort of uh, waiting to hear what's going on with version 3.0 and like when the DLC is coming out. What's the next DLC character? Like, I have the fighter pass. I'm, I'm just waiting. Right. I played Piranha Plant maybe once or twice. It's like, oh, that's fine. I'm not into it. But right. I'm sure one of the other DLC characters might catch my interest. Hey, man. Home run What's up with that weird Best Buy leak? Is it real? Probably not. I mean, but what if? Like, leak eh. the past? What's that mean? Is I don't want to make. I don't want to think about. I mean, if it's it's probably real if it was on the Best Buy website. There's a reason someone's putting that into the system and publishing it to the website. But I don't know. There's as many internet trolls that work for Best Buy that don't. <laughs> uh, fair, but I imagine there's quite a few steps before you can just post to the Best Buy website. You know? I don't know. New a uh, new challenge: get hired at Best Buy and post something to their internal servers. And Console Crusade coming to a Switch. That'd be so fucking cool. <laughs> also very illegal. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how illegal it is. You probably just get fired. I mean, it's not like corporate sabotage or anything. It's all internal. They just delete it. It's what they did. They deleted those those entries. Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, I was just talking at lunch today. We were on the way to a restaurant, and uh, I don't know how it came up. But we we're talking about emergency alert tones on you know come through on your phone, Amber Alert and whatever. And oh, you're driving along, and one day, beep, 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 beep. but it got us thinking about the. You know, in Hawaii last year when the nuclear, like, hey, a bomb's coming, you know, say goodbye now. And that whole alert went out. And for like 40 minutes, the whole island thought that imminent doom was upon them. Right. And it was like, well, you know what? There's one good way to guarantee that that never happens again is keep the guy who did it doing the exact same job because you know he'll never fuck that up again. (laughs) You know? And so it's kind of like, you know, don't shit can the guy. Just leave him where he's at because that's... You won't do it again if he's fired either, so... Well, no, but it's more likely that someone new comes in and, and does it again than the guy who did it once ever, ever makes that mistake again. That dude is always going to second guess before pressing a button ever again. Or, don't, or make sure your nuclear alert is on, like, Windows XP or whatever it was. Right. Someone hit F11. Like a million and- different pop-ups, like... Are you sure you don't want to do this? Okay, or cancel. <laughs> you try. <laughs> I don't know. What does it mean? Uh, <laughs> what does it mean? We've all had that pop up. You're like, I don't know what I'm clicking. <laughs> you just you just spam space bar and hope for the best, you know? That's what I do at my job at the nuclear launch site alert <laughs> facility. <laughs> they really they really do do something for it all for everything these days. That was a sentence. Something for it all for everyone these days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this has been the Concert Crusade Podcast. We talk about some things. We're back and doing the thing. I'm going to go pull a Tom and just fall out of the fucking balcony window. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>